You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Welcome to the Black Catholic Initiative radio show here for the Archdiocese of Chicago, uh, where we talk about the issues, the concerns, and the things, the great things that are happening for our Black Catholic community here in the Archdiocese of Chicago. My name is Father Michael Trail, and I'm honored to serve as the host of the radio show, and I'm also extremely honored to serve as the pastor of St. Thomas the Apostle Catholic Church and School in the historic Hyde Park neighborhood. You can get this program anywhere that you uh, listen to your podcasts, and we're also available on our YouTube page, Catholic of Chicago. We're also available on the radio, Old School, uh, at WNDZ, 7.50 a.m. Last time in our episode, we ha- were having a conversation with uh, the Knights and the Ladies of Peter Claver and talking about their good work in a very local and particular fashion. If you remember last episode, we talked about um, their work uh, and their upcoming uh, their upcoming award, which is the Archbishop James P. Like African American Male Image Award. And so, what we're doing today uh, on our episodes, we're actually going to continue our conversation about the good work of the Knights and Ladies of Peter Claver, but then also too hearing uh, from a more of a, a local, a, more of a context of just uh, having a conversation about Black Catholics in general and how faith works in the life of Black Catholics. And we're continuing uh, to—I'm honored to continue to have uh, our guests here uh, from last episode, uh, Miss uh, Bobby Levy, who is the Grand Lady uh, for the Ladies Auxiliary of Peter Claver, Court 181, and uh, a member, and also a member of Court 181, uh, Miss Tanya Woods. So welcome back again. Thank you to the both of you for being here again on, on the Black Catholic Initiative radio show. You know, last time you, our, you're welcome. Yeah, last time our conversation was really uh, it was good, and it, you know we talked about just kind of like more of a broader view about the work of um, the Knights and Ladies of Peter Claver, and also a little bit about um, you know what what you're doing at Court 181, and you shared a lot of good work, uh, a lot of good things that you're doing over there. But you know, we really didn't get a chance to hear about you all uh, as people, you know, because it's people who make up an organization, it's people who bring life to things, and so. I'm wondering, could um, Bobby, you know, maybe I'll start with you. Could you just tell me, tell me a little about yourself, you know, and just tell us a little bit about your story, you know, what, you know, if you're born and raised in Chicago, lifelong parishioner, you know, just help us understand who you are as a person. Okay. I was uh, born actually in Memphis, Tennessee. I came to Chicago when I was eight years old and I came from very humble beginnings and um, I, a single mom. In fact, the first place we lived was Henry Horner Projects. Mm. And uh, I became Catholic. I was not Catholic. In fact, my grandfather was, was a Methodist minister. My uncle was a Baptist minister. And when I put my children in school, 
I put them in Catholic school at the time. And uh, we had to take instructions. And we had to go to mass one Sunday a month. And I was thinking to myself, well, you know, they're Christians. And why should I have to go to church here, take them to church here? And they're going to be Catholic. So I took instructions and I joined the Catholic church. Mm. And uh, my and my son became Knights of uh, Peter Claver. In fact, my oldest son was the Supreme Knight, Junior Supreme Knight from all over. They really loved Claver. So actually, I got into Claver to see what my children were doing. Mm. You know, they were going to this meeting. And when I got in Claver, I never realized that I would become the grand lady because I really admired those ladies. You know, I thought, you know, these ladies, uh, I would go to the meetings and down at uh, St. Alby, we would have a lot of meetings down there. Right. The grand lady uh, down there, I just uh, really thought a lot of these ladies. And our grand lady uh, was named at the time. We ha I had a lot of grand ladies, but the one I remember the most the one who mentored me the most was Lady Shirley Hartfield mm. from St. Felicitas. Mm. And, and so uh, I became the junior daughter counselor. I worked with the juniors and we did uh, different things. We went to conferences and conventions. And also at my church, by me having, you always want to be involved in what your children are involved in. So when I was at St. Felicitas, I became uh, administrator, well, started a junior choir because for my son, I have two sons. So we had a choir and then I became the volunteer youth minister in the 80s. And I would, uh, at St. Felicitas, and we would have, it was about 30 or 40 young people in that youth group that we started. And uh, we would, I was chairperson for Kajinga at one time. Oh, yeah. So my children and working through the church gave me the opportunity to practice Christianity, to practice being a Christian. And it was, it, it made, gave me an opportunity to grow, just like the lady of Peter Claver has. And so it allows me to complete. Christ's mission, and of course, that's our uh, mission of love, unity, and Christian charity. No, oh, that's I love that. So, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. You know, and I, I love this. I well, I hear a couple of things that I think just are awesome. One, you know, the 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 beauty of Catholic school and the way that it helped to bring you into this community of faith, right through the in the Catholic Church. I love that that your children were a great catalyst and impetus for you to to dive deeper into your own faith and how. And how Peter Claver was an opportunity to a vehicle by which you were able to do that. I mean, that's 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 perfect, literally perfect. So, um, so thank you so much, Grand Lady, for sharing that. Um, one of the things I love, especially about us as as a as a people, is that you know we we, and as 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 black people, you know we we love our story, you know, and we have a rich story to tell, you know, and and to be able to hear just a really. Um, a personal journey like that. I think it's it's a really powerful one. So thank you for sharing that. And I know that our listeners, all of our listeners, um, have stories like that. You know, where, where faith was real and it came alive, and you know, where where you could, it's really tangible. So no, I, I really appreciate that. 
Uh, Tanya, could you tell us a little bit about your own story? Tell us a little bit about who you are, you know, and uh, some of the good things that you're doing. Sure. I do appreciate that opportunity. And I'll just piggyback on, on what's already been said to say that not only do we just love a good story, right, right. as African-Americans, but we have to remember that part of our coming to this country um, as kidnapped Africans and then enslaved, that's the method by which we kept our culture alive was right. to tell stories, that oral tradition. We didn't have the benefit of the language and the written pen and paper here in this country um, in the same way that we were able to record our histories where we came from. And so, you know, what may seem very folkloric is very intentional in, in many ways for us to have been able to keep our language alive, our culture alive, our traditions, our recipes, mm -hmm. um, and all of those things um, is ingrained and indoctrinated in that oral tradition. So yes, we do like a good story and to spend a good yarn, but it kept us alive. Right. It kept us thriving as a community and it continues to be the lifeblood of our community. My story is not that dissimilar from Grand Ladies. Um, I am from Chicago. I'm a native daughter of Chicago. I grew up on Chicago's west side where I now have the opportunity to practice uh, law and lead an organization called the West Side Justice Center, which is a holistic legal aid clinic situated in East Garfield Park. Um, and that's uh, the, the dash in between those years of growing up on the west side and where I now do my work um, has a little bit to do with my story um, that brought me to the Catholic faith. I too grew up in Catholic schools and in, in our scripture says, come as a young child, right? Come right. as little children. Right. Um, and so oftentimes children are exactly the conduit that brings us to faith. So um, there was a Catholic school on every corner in any um, a large urban area, but especially in black communities and in brown communities, because we often, uh, as families of, Im uh, of immigrants, uh, families that were working class poor, uh, families who, you know, scrubbed the floors of other families. Uh, a Catholic school was one way that you could offer your child a um, Christian faith-based education that was affordable. So we don't often, you know, see that now. Um, you know, we may not get it when we look at those tuition bills, but when in, in the 60s and 70s and um, those Catholic schools were places that if your mom was a single mom or if your family was scraping it together, this Catholic school would take you. Um, and, and your principal, that sister or that father would say, bring whatever you have, just come to church, make sure your children get to school every day and that they actually attend mass. And that was, that was the price of admission, if you will. And so I was a little kid who grew up um, attending Catholic schools from day one. Uh, and my little Catholic school is still there on uh, Taylor Street. It was then called Holy Trinity. It is now called, I think, Our Family or something similar. And mm -hmm. it was a one-story um, Catholic school that also was adjacent to a school for instruction for young children who were deaf and hearing impaired. Oh, yeah. Um, and the ministry there, and this is why I'm telling this very long story, was that we were helping and learning from each other, hearing impaired children with um, hearing able children, all under kind of this auspices of faith and, and mutual aid. Um, and when First Communion came around, there's a little slip of paper that every family is asked to fill out. My mom forgot to fill out my slip of paper. Um, <laughs> it's really just as simple as that. Right. But I, I believed I was a Catholic in my heart of hearts from day one. Right. And although I was um, attended church, Protestant church, a non-denominational church on Sunday uh, of universal faith, I attended faithfully 
Catholic schools up until my freshman year of college. And then um, later I attended Loyola School of Law. And so my mom would always say, you know, we always knew you were Catholic. That's always where you felt comfortable. But it wasn't until a great crisis uh, in my life, losing the my love of my life, my high school, my college sweetheart, my husband passed away in 2008. Mm. And I never say it was a crisis of faith. I always had strong faith. My belief in God never wavered. But where I would choose to worship, how I would worship without the head of my household, how I would choose to worship with my children, that became um, the forefront of my mind. And so like Grand Lady, um, my children, you know, are what leave me and leave my faith because we're going to all do this together. Right. And so as I left the church that I had been at for several decades um, and where I'd raised my children up to that point, I began to look at other faith homes where I thought I would be comfortable, where I felt like the teachings of Christ would resonate with my soul. But as I was reinventing myself as a widowed mom of two, um, that relationship with my pastor, um, I really just needed respite. Hmm. Um, I was always busy as a Sunday school teacher, busy as a reader, busy doing this and busy doing that, but my soul just needed rest. Hmm. Um, And so it was uh, how I came to then St. Albie. And at that time, we were visiting my son and I, a couple of different churches. My daughter was in college. And um, at that time, one of the visiting priests was someone who had attended the seminary with my husband back in uh, Quigley South many mm. years ago. Mm. And my son and I were sitting on the pews, and, and um, he looked out in the audience, and he said, I, I see a sister out there that I know. And he began to really, as they say, walk into my life. Right. Uh, and he said, I just want to acknowledge Sister Tani, who's here. Father Larry Doris was still our, our lead pastor, but he was letting this young upstart take the pulpit. Um, it was that feeling of acknowledgement, of being seen, but not being asked to do anything other than to sit there and to worship. Right. And my son said to me as we left a mass that day, he said, Mom, I like this place. I think we'll be happy here. And I said, OK, then this is where we shall stay. And so that began our story and our journey at, at St. Albie then, now St. Catherine Jexel. My son would go on to Catholic school, graduate from St. Um, Ignatius High School, um, and his career has taken him far, as as so has my daughter's. My daughter would say to him all the time, you know, my mom mom always wanted one of us to go to Catholic high school, so you're <laughs> it, um, even though they had grown up in public schools. Yeah. And so uh, I often think about my, um, my ancestors, looking down on us and smiling and walking with us on our continued Catholic journey. Um, and it does me great pride to be a member of Court 181 and a member of the um, Ladies uh, Auxiliary of Saint, the Knights of St. Peter Claver. No, thank you so much for sharing that, Tanya. I really appreciate uh, just hearing your hearing your story and hearing how God is working, uh, God was working in and through your, your life and in your story. You know, and especially one of the, the common themes between all three of us is is the importance of Catholic school. You know, I, I'm a product of Catholic school myself uh, from the Archdiocese of Detroit, where I was born and raised. And, and even when I moved to Chicago, I went to Loyola University for undergrad. So I also got that, that uh, Catholic college experience as well that was very formational for me, you know. And I think, you know, and as the pastor myself uh, and uh, having a school underneath the care of the parish, you know, I, I see the I see the importance of Catholic school and um, how it's a real blessing in the life of my students even now. And I and as you as both of you have shared your stories, you know, how the importance of Catholic school um, is also part of, you know, is, is a real fundamental piece of of the of your own story, your own journey of faith, through the way in which uh, you were introduced to the church, but then also to the way in which you were able to um find a home in the church. 
Um, we're going to take a really quick break uh, just to um, uh, hear some of the, the some of our commercials, and we'll be right back to continue our conversation uh, with uh, both of my guests here today. an old bicycle that's not being used? Consider donating it to Catholic Charities Veterans Bike Project of Lake County. Skilled volunteers are refurbishing bicycles to make them safe and ready to be used by veterans to get to and from their new places of work. We also gratefully accept financial contributions that are used to purchase bike helmets and other safety accessories. Our veterans have faithfully served the United States and now it is our privilege to serve them. For more information on the Veterans Bike Project of Lake County, call 847-782-4219. That's 847-782-4219. This is year 44 for me teaching. When I started here, there were teachers here that had taught me when I was a student. Now I'm the old person. <laughs> right now, I teach junior high math. I love when kids find what I'm teaching to be fun and they get it. I see that light bulb go off and it's a thrill. People are always amazed, what, what? You're here for 44 years? It's hard for me to believe, frankly. <laughs> I love what I do. Every summer I think, oh, I miss the classroom. Even on the weekends, I think I can't wait to get back on Monday and teach those quadratic equations. <laughs> Shape the next generation of leaders. Teach. Apply today at artchicago.org slash schooljobs. We're back with the Black Catholic Initiative radio show here in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Uh, we're continuing our conversation with uh, two really dynamic women of faith, uh, Tanya Woods and uh, Bobby Levy. Uh, Bobby is the Grand Lady for the night for the Ladies Auxiliary of the Knights of Peter Claver Court 181, and Tanya is a member of that court as well. Uh, just before the break, we had the opportunity to hear a little bit from both of them about their own faith story, their own faith journey, uh, and how they came to where they are here today. And uh, now that we're, we're past the break and with the time that we have remaining, uh, about 10 minutes or so, I want to just take the opportunity to continue our conversation about um, some of the good things that are happening right now. Some of the, the, the things that are happening right now for you personally, but then also, too, since both of you are members of St. Catherine Drexel, um, you know, your parish has gone through uh, the process of Renew My Church, um, where, where there was this combining of those parishes into this new lived reality, um, 
And so can you share a little bit about the, the, the work that is taking place at your parish um, uh, right now? Okay, well, one thing uh, I just want to speak, Go first I want to just go back to say that uh, something I mentioned and uh, Lady Woods reminded me I would be, um, I would be, it would be remiss if I didn't say when I came from uh, Memphis with my mom who was single uh, and during my years here in Chicago, I was married and I was married to a, a man, uh, Matthew Levy, and we raised our sons together. And he he passed, just like I, Lady Woods reminded me. He, he died in 2016, and actually, we had been married over 50 years. And by me coming from a single home, it made me wanting, wanted to raise my children because I always wanted, it was just my mom and I, and I always wanted to have a whole lot of people at the Thanksgiving table like yeah. my girlfriend did down the street. Right. And, and so you, but they always say maybe you shouldn't ask for everything because now on Thanksgiving, we have too many people around the table. <laughs> so I just wanted to, I just wanted to mention that. But at St. Catherine Drexel, you know, we do a lot of things like this summer, this May, we had a cotillion for the junior daughters uh, at Giorgio's banquet. We had seven junior daughters that participated. And the good thing about that, we talked about doing all of this for young men, those young ladies who received $6,000, because when we do things like that, we use the money for something to better the church, the community, and our members. And so that's one of the things we're doing there. Of course, I do have to mention, uh, since being at St. Catherine Drexel, at first, we just I, it just felt like I lost a family member mm -hmm. when St. Felicitas closed. Mm -hmm. It was like it was a death in my family because people, everybody didn't come down to St. Catherine Drexel. Right. They went every place, you know, different churches. Right. So I was really uh, just felt like uh, we shouldn't have closed and just felt devastated about, about it. But by me being Grand Lady of the Knights of Peter Flavor, Ladies Auxiliary, being down at St. Catherine Drexel now, I would like to say that I have met the people, uh, the people like Lady Woods. I didn't know Lady Woods before I came down to Catherine Drexel. Mm -hmm. I had, have met people like uh, Keander, mm -hmm. Cassandra Boyd, uh, and it's family. It's becoming a family. And we're all coming together, it seems. In fact, this Saturday, I know um, you didn't ask me about this, but this Saturday, we are initiating in Court 181, eight ladies that was part of St. Catherine Drexel. So uh, a lot of things are happening at the church. Father Paul, he has these just becauses. That's what he calls it, just because. Uh, to try to get us to mingle and try to, to come together. We have ice cream socials in the summertime. We're having uh, an adult party this coming the 17th uh, Saturday. So uh, although 
we the church closed and i i shouldn't say this i always say this and i really shouldn't say it online but Remember you're on the radio on, <laughs> <laughs> on, on the radio. <laughs> thank you you know i have to play the old cards right. <laughs> right. so so thank you we you know but and so a lot of things we do down there we have a food pantry uh, it's just like um, it, it, uh, just a lot of stuff. And I am pleased that I am at St. Catherine Drexel. I know I we had no control over St. Felicitas closing. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like the church closed, but I did get another family. And I got a new pastor great. that yeah. you know, I really like that's great and that's great really delivers the message to us that's wonderful i'm so glad to hear that <laughs> you know um i i appreciate you know the good work uh i think thank you uh uh bobby for sharing some of the good work at uh that's taking place at saint Catherine drexel you know because uh you know all of our parishes um that that experience renew my church you know there i there's a real i appreciate your honesty and just acknowledging that there is that sadness there because and, you think about some of these communities that have been together for, you know, 30, 50, 75, over 100 plus years, and then having to, you know, pick up and move into a new community. Um, you know, there is that grieving process that is there, but there's also that welcoming of a new family coming together and creating a new identity, a new identity that I think is stronger, you know, a new identity that is um, filled with new life and new vigor. And I think with any family, that when you get some new members and when you get some new members of your family, it spices it up a little bit, you know, because you didn't get to know it. You're still getting to know each other and um, really uh, just kind of building up a community together, a community of love, a community of faith, but also a community who does a lot of good works. Uh, Tanya, I'm actually, I'm very interested to hear, you know, you, you shared a, earlier before the break, you shared a beautiful testimony about your own life and your own journey of faith, you know, and, and you shared a little bit about the work, the important work that you do uh, over on the West Side. Can you share uh, just how your own personal faith influences uh, your work? Uh, as you work for justice? That's a great question, because as you get older, you realize that if it doesn't all kind of come together, you you don't have a lot of extra space to do a lot of extra things. Right. And so there's just some efficiencies um, that as you become self-actualized in your profession, in your faith, that you go, okay, there's only so many meetings I can go to, only so many service projects I can head up. Right. Um, And so there's that efficient part of it. But Um, In all honesty, um, for me, uh, the career in the law was one that as a as a child and a young person, I would see attorneys and judges doing different things, but I did not see that path for myself. Um, And we hear this story so often, far often than we should probably be hearing it in the black community about I never saw this. I never saw that. And so I really didn't know how to get there. I never saw two parents loving each other. So I didn't really know how to start a family. I never saw doctors that looked like me. So I didn't know how. But the amazing, triumphant and hopeful stories are the ones who never saw it and did it anyway. Tell somebody. Um, I never saw and you've just heard Grand Lady Bobby talk about that. I didn't have that, but I knew I wanted it. Mm. My husband and I both came from homes where our parents were divorced, but we knew we wanted to be married and stay married. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I'm delighted, even though my husband is gone far too soon, and I'm sure Grand Lady would say the same, but we, we stay true to our vows till death us do part. Mm. Um, and so I say all that to say is that, you know, 
through life's way, you hope that you pick up some lessons and you say, I'm not here by accident or by happenstance. You know, I'm here maybe in the face of a tragedy, but I'm here on purpose. There's mm. something bigger than myself that's at work. And if I just become quiet, you know, and listen to, as scripture says, that still small voice, I might just hear what it is that spirit is calling and asking me to do. And so while as a child, I may have wanted to do that, I didn't see the roadmap quite as easily. When I look back now and I talk to people who know me for at least 15 or 20 years, they'll say, oh, we we knew that. Like, <laughs> we knew you'd be a lawyer. Right. You know, and I was like, well, how'd you know? And they'd say, you know, whatever their story was, whatever their interaction, whatever they saw inside of me um, at that time. Um, and even up to and including some, you know, recent friendships with people who I work closely with were like, that's a career we always saw for you. Mm. I credit a dean in law school who said um, I got my first, uh, you know, grade that didn't look like an A when I was in law school. And it devastated me because I was like, oh, gosh, you know, how is this possible? Everybody thought, you know, I'd be like the good wife on TV. I'd just like ace law school right. and, you know, raise <laughs> yeah. a family and, you know, Anjali woman and all that stuff. Right, right. But I sat down with my dean and I said, I just don't really understand this grade, you know. She says, Tanya, do you want to sit here and talk about this grade or do you want to talk about what you want to do with your life when you get out of law school? Mm. She said, now I can have a conversation with you about rules of law and how to perfect a better, better essay. Or we can actually talk about the stuff that actually matters about what are you going to do when you get out of law school? Right. And that really became, um, you know, that pivotal moment of why am I here and what am I doing this for? I didn't start law school to make a lot of money. I started it because it was a dream deferred mm. that I saw an opening in a window um, of opportunity, even in the face of adversity, to follow a dream that I had put on the back shelf. Because by this time, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you're too old, you got kids, you're single, you can't do it. Right. And luckily, a lot of amazing women told me I could. So as I went through trying to discern what it was that, you know, was intended for me in this career path, I just tried to really be obedient to mm. spirit when those moments came, those moments of making a decision about which way you would go up to and including, you know, taking a job, um, many jobs that didn't pay right. very much while I was in law school, yeah. um, which was not necessarily, you know, something that is look favorably upon you want to get that great internship of course a great law firm right um but i chose to do things that were a little bit non-traditional as a non-traditional student i even took a job that didn't pay a whole lot when i got out of law school mm. but for the experience that i knew it would offer me the lifelong relationships that continue to pay dividends okay. and then even fast forwarding to the work that i'm doing now um, left a law firm to basically try to figure it out again right. um, and ended up volunteering for what was then a fledgling organization in 2016-17 uh, put together by several attorneys and activists and community members who saw a need to be able to offer free, high-quality legal services on Chicago's West Side, mm. something that had once upon a time, uh, in, in many ways, we would find a legal aid clinic here and there, like so many services that have dried up from right. the 90s and the 2000s right. that were community-based. And so those founders, you know, said, let's do this on the West Side. And I went to basically volunteer, and next thing I know, I was being asked to be the executive director. And because I don't believe in accidents, I only believe in God, mm -hmm. um, I recognized that I was there at a moment 
um, even when I couldn't pay my mortgage, literally, mm. um, to do something that was bigger than myself. And so now the Westside Justice Center, which was put together on spit and glue, um, I would pay my light bill when somebody made a donation, right. uh, you know, to the organization. We are now a multi-million dollar organization um, funded by several government um, entities and donations from, you know, many of the folks who are probably watching this show. Yeah. Um, and we have an opportunity not to be a big organization as a multi-million dollar organization might imply, but actually um, 90% of that budget we grant to other community-based organizations across the state of Illinois Great. to do community-based work. Great. Um, and so now I get an opportunity to, um, you know, play Santa um, all the time, at least once a year. Right. Uh, but really, honestly, to build capacity Great. in communities of color, in black communities, to, uh, you know, strengthen our muscles in a way um, that often, you know, our communities are overplayed by, you know, um, constant police presence, criminalization, right. you know, deficit in school, all the social determinants that, that we know about that disproportionately affect black people, yeah. I get an opportunity to move the needle in the right direction. Um, and so I can't imagine not doing this work. I wake up every day with a song in my heart. Mm. Um, I don't mind working late hours. My children are uh, adults um, and doing great activist work in their own right. Great. And so my head rests on the pillow easily at night um, knowing that if I am granted yet another gift to get up another day, um, if I can give someone the gift of a better chance, a better life, a better shot at justice, uh, then I will have lived my life. What a what a great blessing to see how <laughs> see how your your own life and how your blessing uh, is a blessing to others. This does wrap up our time here. Uh, I want to thank you both so much for sharing your own story, sharing your conversation, and just sharing the way that the God is working in your life and your own faith journey. I'm Father Michael Trail, and this is the Black Catholic Radio Show for the Archdiocese of Chicago. May God bless uh, this Archdiocese and the Black Catholics in the Archdiocese of Chicago. God bless you all.